Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. So glad that you're with us here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, I want to introduce our engineer, Pete Paquette. Gets us on the air, very professional. And uh, Andrew Herdliska does the producing. And uh, Christine Hoover is here. I want to introduce her. She's in Charlottesville, Virginia host of the By Faith podcast, author of How to Thrive as a Pastor's Wife. Christine, welcome to Orlando. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me today. Why was it important to write this book, Christine? It was important to write this book because there are not many resources out there for pastor's wives. There are some, and they are really good. But we need all the help we can get, Pat. As pastors' wives, we need tools, we need resources, we need encouragement, we need reminders of what is true and how to apply those truths. So that's why I wrote it. I just love encouraging women in ministry, whether they're on staff themselves or they are married to someone who serves in ministry. I wrote this as an encouragement, but also as a practical help. Sometimes we need we all kind of face the same circumstances and situations, and we need somebody to help us who has experience with those things, giving us some tips and some truths to kind of undergird what we do. So that's why I wrote it. Uh, there are seven parts to the book. Uh, part one is simply called you, locating you. You are anchored. You are called. You are gifted. You're human. Fill us in on part one. Well, I structured the book, as you said, in seven parts, and all each part is about a relationship that we have. And the first one is with ourselves and knowing ourselves and understanding ourselves, meaning how has God designed us individually and uniquely, but also how has He designed us as a human being, knowing that we have limits and we have needs that everyone else has. And so each chapter in that first section Really, I wanted to, I, I use the term locating you because I use a visual image throughout the book, but just kind of, uh, you, you are here at the mall, the directory says you are here, and I wanted to help remind women, you are here, this is who you are, this is who God says that you are, and He has equipped you for the role that He has called you to. And then also, He's called you to to use those gifts that you have in a very unique way, in a very unique context. And so, you know, I use the story from uh, Scripture of John the Baptist, that he he was called to a specific people in a specific time 
for a specific purpose. And he didn't let anyone else identify him uh, aside from that, how, how he knew he was called for a specific thing. And so we, I look at that with women, just asking them to think about how has God designed them? Who has he called them to serve? And, and with what gifts are they called to serve? So that's the first section is just, hey, let me remind you who you are and that God has equipped you for where he has you. My guest in Charlottesville, Virginia, Christine Hoover. Christine, we've moved to part two, uh, you and God. Locating God, when no, what no one else sees, he sees. Cultivating the skill of lament, what no one else knows, he knows. Tell us more about part two. Part two, uh, you know, you might think, well, why did you start with yourself and not with God? But I, part two is really uh, calling us as pastor's wives to meet with God and to remember that there are hurts that we encounter in ministry, that God sees all of them. And we have a resource in Him. He is the source of all comfort, as Second Corinthians 1 says. And we must develop an intimate, develop and cultivate an intimate, deep relationship with God that is the foundation of everything that we do. We cannot then go and engage people unless we first have that relationship with him and know some specific things about him, that he is a God who sees as Hagar, the story of Hagar teaches us, and that he he sees when we're hurt. He sees when we hurt others. He sees when we're confused and uncertain and don't know what to do. And in that, he offers himself. He offers wisdom. He offers comfort. He hears our lament, which is a whole chapter that I wrote about learning to lament before God the things that we can't talk about with other people. And so that section really focuses a lot on, on hurts that we endure, that we can't really talk about the hidden vulnerabilities that that's the term Andy Crouch uses in his book, strong and weak. And I really ran with that because we do have hidden vulnerability, hidden vulnerabilities as pastors wives that, or even unique from our husbands and what they encounter in ministry. And so what do we do when we can't go and talk to other people about those things? Well, we go to the Lord and we lament before Him and we remember who He is to us as our God, the God of all comfort, the God who sees. So that whole section, I just dive into specific hurts that we might encounter and how we can respond to them, knowing that God is with us and He sees. Christine Hoover is with us. How to thrive as a pastor's wife. Let's move to uh, part three, Christine. You and your husband. Locating your marriage. Wife, friend, and lover. Pastor to the pastor. Tell us more. Well, again, I want to say that I use a visual image in the in the book that helps locate us and locate the these relationships. And the reason why I did that, Pat, was because I, I think sometimes we struggle to know our priorities. We have so many things coming at us, so many needs, so many people in our lives, and that's a very good thing. But it can be difficult sometimes to know how do we do that? How do we navigate these things? What gets our priority? What gets our attention? And so this image came out of a time that my husband and I were really asking these questions and honestly struggling with, uh, our marriage having the proper place 
in our lives because ministry had become such an overwhelming and all-consuming thing for us. And this image is something that we started using to talk about where do our priorities sit. And the the image uses a, a gate that it, there's a fenced off part and there is there are rooms inside of that gate and one is is the marriage relationship the 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 room so to speak that I share with my husband and so this section comes right after our relationship with God in the book because we really need to focus on cultivating our marriage apart from ministry and the way that I think about this too is kind of like a Venn diagram. A lot of times the circles of marriage and ministry tend to overlap greatly, but it's important that we have some separation, that we want to be healthy. And so there, there is going to be overlap and that is healthy, that we do this together and we serve together, but there has to be a relationship cultivated apart from serving together, a, a relationship that has Christ at the center and not the church at the center. So in other words, what do we talk about? What do we build our life around that is apart from doing ministry together or the church being at the center? So the section here on uh, our relationship with our husband, I, I go into that. How can we cultivate a marriage relationship, a husband and wife relationship apart from the pastor, pastor's wife relationship? So calling us to, to intimacy with our husband's friendship with our husbands, cultivating interests and friendships and hobbies with our husband apart from the work of the ministry. But then also, how do we serve together? How do we engage the church or the ministry organization in a very healthy way where there is that overlap in the Venn diagram? How can we do all of this with a very balanced approach? So I encourage wives to to contribute to a healthy relationship with their husbands in that way. But I also have a chapter for the pastor where I ask him to consider what his wife experiences in ministry and how can he help her to thrive and to, to engage the church and engage the marriage relationship well. Christine, I want you to uh, move to part four with us now. You and your children locating your family, seasons of ministry with younger children and then with older children. Tell us about part four now. Mm -hmm. This is a big one for pastors' wives. They're they're questioning about their kids. Well, you know, how is this going to affect my kids? We hear the horror stories of pastor kids growing up and leaving the faith or rebelling. Uh, And so we have a lot of questions around how do we raise our kids? In this thing that we're doing, ministry and church life, to where also our kids develop a relationship with God, give their lives to Him, and love Him, and love His people. And so I, I think there's, there's two kind of seasons of ministry that we experience this in. One is with small children, and that's a unique time. And then one is with our older children, teenagers. That's a unique time. And I haven't gotten to the empty nest season yet, so I didn't really write about that. But that's a unique time with adult children. And I, I think it's important to note for any pastors wives listening that the, the seasons of life do exist for us, that ministry is very different depending upon the ages of our kids, whether we have kids or they're teenagers or they're grown. 
Uh, for our husbands, they experience ministry kind of in a linear fashion. They, they, they do the work of the ministry pretty consistently over time. But for us, our ability and capacity to engage in the life of the church is going to change over the course of our lives and our family context. And so I, I talked about that one section on raising small kids and how do you do Sunday mornings with small kids? How do you help your kids learn about what their dad does and how to uh, engage the church, even learning to serve at a young age? And then the section on teenagers, how do we help our kids be the individual people that they are and to develop a relationship with the church and with God apart from us? And while still under our roof. And so that's a unique time. That's the stage of life I'm in right now, learning to help my kids, uh, teenage boys, how to engage the church as the unique individuals that they are becoming. And I think it's a very delightful time. I'm loving raising teenagers. But again, it does affect my capacity and my uh, ability to engage with our church because my kids are the primary disciples that I'm raising in my home. And so I just try to help women in that, in that section of the book think through what are some practical things that you can do, but also what are some of the things we need to keep in mind as we're parenting kids in what some people call the glass house or the fishbowl. How do we help them to do that well? Christine Hoover is the author of How to Thrive as a Pastor's Wife. Christine, what can you tell us about your husband? My husband is Kyle, and he is the lead pastor of a church that we planted in Charlottesville in 2008. So we've been here almost 14 years, and we came from Texas where he served on a large church staff, and we were kind of sent out from that church. So I, my husband is very gifted in leading and shepherding, and he's grown into a really great preacher. And uh, he supports me fully in the work that I do, both in the church and what, what, the global, the Big C Church, with writing and teaching and speaking. So we've kind of come into this really sweet spot where we're working well together, but yet doing very unique things. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's a great partner for me in my own ministry, and I seek to be a really great partner to him and what he's doing uh, one of the things I've learned is just to be very specific in my encouragement to him as his wife and him to me to think about how can I specifically help him see how God is using him, um, maybe a sermon, picking out really specific things that I can encourage him and say, hey, that that really was uh, something I'm still thinking about. I'm chewing on. God used that to convict me and to help me. So that's where we are, what we're learning, 22 years in to marriage and ministry. My guest is Christine Hoover. We have another segment with her, How to Thrive as a Pastor's Wife. Uh, Speaking of books, my latest book is out. It's called Every Day is Game Day. It's a a 365-day devotional uh, with a sports theme for every day, a sports story, sports anecdote, uh, sports Insight, and then it leads into the devotional piece of uh, 365 days. Every day is game day. So when you go up and order a copy of How to Thrive as a Pastor's Wife, uh, check out Every Day is Game Day. 
This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We will be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Christine Hoover has <clears throat> written the book, How to Thrive as a Pastor's Wife. She's in Charlottesville, Virginia. And, uh, Christine, we're at part five, you and your friends. <clears throat> you tell us about locating your friendships and what friends, navigating difficulties in friendship. It's all yours, Christine. <laughs> well, if you're imagining the, the visual map, this is where we go outside the gate. We walk down the pathway toward our community and our church, and there are little benches along the way where we can sit and enjoy friendship with women who are like-minded with us, women who see us as people and not just as a pastor's wife. And I think, you know, most most pastor's wives, this is a really... This is a deep topic and a hard topic for us because we tend to have a lot of wounds, question marks, uncertainties around friendship. We experience friendship in a unique way. And and I do want to say we're not an exception to the rule. Many women and many people in general struggle with friendships and relationships. But there are some added layers of complexity for pastors' wives related to friendship, and that's because all of our life can really be encompassed in church life. Our husband's job is the church. Our community relationships are in the church, our social relationships, and also our ministry is in the church. And so everything is connected. It, you know, our relationships with other staff people, and that could include friends who work with our husband uh, on staff, that that is just a very complex, what we would say, blurred relation. So that can cause some issues to arise for pastor's wife. And so I try to address those things the complexities. First of all, can we even have friends within the church? Because anyone that we connect with, there are some things that we cannot share with them related to what's going on behind the scenes. If there's somebody who's really deeply hurting, but they want it to remain private. Uh, if there are, you know, somebody is leaving the church and they haven't announced it yet. You know, those are kinds of things that we can't really share even with our closest friends. And so that can be something that hinders us. We don't always know what to share, when to share, how to share it, with whom do we share. And so that can be a a complexity of can we even be friends with people in church? My answer is yes. I do think that we can. I think we can share openly and honestly with our friends. Uh, always keeping in mind honoring your husband, honoring the people, the other people in the church. And so I share vulnerably with people, but I don't share details of that are going on behind the scenes. Um, but I address that. Can we have friends? Where do we find these friends? How do we know who is a friend? 
I think one of the, the complexities that happens for us is that many people see us as primarily the pastor's wife and not as the individual person that we are. And so they might relate in that way, and it can be difficult to know, can we share ourselves with them? They might not know what to ask, or they might not, they might not ask anything about us as people. They might just relate to us, uh, asking us questions, having conversation related to the church. So what I tell women, if there are pastors' wives listening, is that we want to look for the distinction of mutuality. If there are women in our church who return questions, return care, they return um, initiation and show interest in us as the people that we are, those are people that I take note of and, and I seek to spend more time with. Those are potential friendships. Those are what my actual friends do. Mutuality the distinction. So I talk about that in more detail in, in the first chapter, but also in the second chapter in that section, just talking about, okay, here are some of the issues that we face. How can we navigate, navigate these things? So, you know, if we, we can't share everything, well, what can we share? How do we do that in a way that honors people? Uh, what if we feel that people don't really want to know us or they don't invite us into conversation or into social events? How do we handle that? So that's what the, the second chapter is just kind of like, okay, here's some things we face. Let's talk about it in a way that's, that's hope-filled and truth-filled and also just here's some practical things that we can do to engage friendship, with not just within the church, but just in general, in the community, but specifically in the church. Now, Christine, <clears throat> we have arrived at part six. <clears throat> you and your church, locating your church, Sunday mornings and beyond, dealing with church hurt. I'm, uh, I'm anxious to hear about this. Okay, well, one thing I like to make the distinction of engaging the church is making sure that I am mostly thinking about, so as I go into church on Sunday or I go into a church event, that I am not thinking first about engaging people. I'm thinking first about engaging God, that this is me as a Christian going in to worship God, to hear from Him, to meet with Him, and to hear what He has to say to me through His Word. And so that's a, that's a very, uh, maybe even a sick thing, but it helps me, just like the Psalms of Ascent talk about uh, or give us words that we can pray and we can sing as we go in to meet with God. We are going to meet with God. I think what happens a lot of times for pastors' wives and pastors is it becomes work. It becomes something that we are producing or we feel that we have to perform, we have to be on. And I do think there is an aspect to that. We do engage the church in a way that's different than the people who are not uh, in, on ministerial staff. But it's important for us to not lose sight of when we go to church, we are going to encounter God. When we think of it like that, and we're, we're preparing our hearts for worship, it takes away that push toward performance, toward uh, seeking to please people, seeking to uh, thinking about what are people wanting from me, and that for me has been a really important distinction. So I talk about that in the beginning of that section, and I think uh, 
second is just thinking about how we, uh, and I encourage women in this section to think about how we can contribute to a healthy culture in the church. One of the advantages and perks of being a pastor's wife is that we have influence on the people of God, that this local family of faith, that I, what I do carries weight. What I say carries weight. And that can be very sobering when I think of it, but also there's opportunity. And so how can we use the influence that God has given us to contribute to a healthy church culture? And the primary thing is love. As 1 Corinthians 13 says, that anything we do, if it's not done in love, it's like a clanging symbol. And so I encourage women to think about how can they love the people of their church? And I go into various specific things uh, that we can think about, that we can do, but also contributing to the culture of the church through grace, understanding what grace is, and how do we demonstrate grace to people? How do we ourselves live from a place of understanding God's grace for us? And then there is a section on church hurt. And I think that a lot of people, maybe when we talk about church hurt, we often think about leaders of churches and how they have impacted us in negative ways or we have been wounded. But leaders of churches also experience church hurt from congregants. And I never want to come at this conversation from a negative attitude of, you know, we should be afraid of people in church or people in the church are are, uh, our enemies. No, we love one another. But we do experience, as leaders, we do experience pain and hurt within the church as well. And the difference for us is that that's often uh, has to go unsaid and talked about. And so what do we do with that as pastor's wives? How do we handle when someone, a, a good friend gets upset at a decision that our husband has made and leaves the church and will not talk to us? How do we handle that? That's really painful. And, you know, that kind of cross-references a chapter earlier, we talked about lamenting. Um, but in that section, I, I talk about some of the common hurts that we feel and experience and how can we respond? How can we en- engage people that we have been hurt by, but yet we sit right next to in church and worship God together? And so it's important that we really, really work, especially pastor-wise work, to make sure that we don't have a better root growing up in our heart. Christine Hoover has been our guest. The book, How to Thrive as a Pastor's Wife. We've got more. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. My guest in that first segment was Christine Hoover, uh, talking about her book, How to Thrive as a Pastor's Wife. Uh, She was in Charlottesville, Virginia. We moved north to Michigan. Karen Eman is there. She's a writer for Encouragement for Today. And her book is out, Trusting God in All the Things, 90 Devotions for Finding Peace in your everyday life. Karen, welcome back to Orlando, Florida. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me back. It's a pleasure. Karen, <clears throat> I'm intrigued with that subtitle, 90 Devotions for Finding P 
peace in your everyday life? Do you, do you think people struggle trying to find peace in their life? Well, I think we, we do with not only what's going on in the world and in our nation and walking through a pan- pandemic recently, but I think there are always things in each of our lives, different for everybody, that threaten to rob us of peace and threaten to make us anxious and fearful and fretful. And and sometimes we look more closely at those circumstances and not as closely as we should to God. And so it robs us of our joy and our peace, but we need to kind of glance at our circumstances to assess them, but really fix our gaze upon God. And that's where we find our peace. Uh, how did this book come about? <clears throat> well, I co-authored it with a good friend of mine, Bruce Schwenk from The Better Mom. She and I have written now three devotionals together. And it really, the topic of it, trusting God and all the things, really came about just because both of us had been walking through a lot of storms in our lives, and they looked different for each of us. She has lived through uh, finding out that her husband had cancer, come back twice. Um, she's had five miscarriages, does have some children that were born to, but in between them, she was dealing with that kind of loss. And also just the fear of the future with her husband, would his cancer return? You know, would he be around to see his four children grow up? And I was walking through a lot of grief. I've had 10 people in our extended family, including both of my parents, die within the last three years. And I've also in that time, moved to a new town, actually to be closer to those parents who then started dying three weeks later. And so I've had a lot of grief in my life that has threatened to rob me of peace. Ruth, my co-author, had a lot of changes in her life that threatened to rob her of her peace. And we noticed as we talked with each other, it was kind of a reoccurring theme, and we were there to encourage each other and share scripture. And the book just kind of was birthed out of that with our encouraging each other to keep keep walking and keep relying on God. We thought maybe some of the lessons we've learned could help other people as well. Karen, here's the first devotional I want you to tell us about. It's called, You Don't Have to Crush It. (laughs) What's that mean? Well, one day I was out on my porch taking a little brain break, and I was scrolling through social media, which was a big mistake, because I was kind of feeling overwhelmed that day because I felt like I just couldn't keep up with life with all the things I need to do as a a wife and a mom and a, a daughter and with aging parents at that time before they passed away. And I just remember looking at this one account that was talking about how she was crushing it. She's like, I'm crushing it in my day. She was getting all of these things done, um, having people over that night, making food from scratch, get out, got her house all cleaned. And I'm like, I can't even barely get one thing done. And this woman is just like out there crushing it. And so even though it threatened to make me feel less than by comparison, I decided to just go to the, the Bible and just get my soul calmed down a little bit. And I happened upon a verse in Proverbs twenty-one twenty-one that talks about the one who pursues righteousness and faithful love will find life, righteousness, and honor. And it reminded me of a little lesson my mom taught me that rather than looking at people that seem to have life better off than you and are living life better than you, they're out there crushing it. Look for the one who is crushed in spirit instead. Try to make that person who doesn't have life as well off as you feel better. Do something to make their day in a strange way. It makes your day as well. Pursue righteousness. Pursue love. Loving others. Loving God. And not feeling less than by comparison, but looking for that person who really needs some help in life and doing something to encourage them 
really helps us draw our hearts back to a, a place with a, a healthy perspective. Rather than being jealous, we can see that we have opportunities to serve others through God. Karen, the next one I want you to talk about is simply called Not Yours! Exclamation point. Yeah. So I mentioned a minute ago about comparisons. This one, one that kind of the same thing. I was coming home from a trip to see my daughter who just bought a new house down in North Carolina. I live up in Michigan, and I was on the airplane about ready to deplane. And, you know, everyone has to reach up and grab their bag from the uh, a cupboard, the apartment or department above compartment, I should say. And I opened the compartment, and there were several bags that looked alike. Roller bags that were black, like briefcase ones, they looked so alike, but there was one where the gentleman that owned the bag had taken a white chalk marker, and on the bottom of his roller bag that was sticking out that we all could see, he had written, not yours, (laughs) so that nobody would grab his bag. And I thought, what a smart idea that is, instead of looking at them and being afraid you're going to grab the wrong one, which I've done before. Luckily, I realized it before I got off the plane. His was clearly marked, and it said, not yours. Well, it was just a kind of fun little thing. But then later, I started to think about my life and how I'd been very envious of a few people in my life who seemed to have life better off than me, you know, whether it was relationships or financially or their house and their car. And I'd been a little envious of them. And God used that silly little story to teach me a lesson. And I thought, you know what? Not everything is mine. Just because God's given something to someone else doesn't mean that I'm supposed to have it, too. It's not mine. So I need to just learn to be thankful for the things I do have rather than looking around at everything else that everyone else has and wishing that I was in their shoes. I need to just be content with my lot in life. And so the scripture I use for that devotion is Second Peter 1, 3, that his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. He's already given us everything to live a life that's godly and a life that can find satisfaction in him. I don't need to look at someone else's bag and want what's in their bag in their life. I can be content with what God has given me. Now, Karen, tell us about uh, you have all that you need. What's what's that (laughs) mean? Uh, This is actually a very, very popular verse. I think even a lot of people who've never read the Bible before know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. I remember hearing that verse when I was younger, and my mom would read it to me, and it said, um, I shall not want. And at first, I didn't know what that meant. What do you mean? I don't want anything? What does that mean? But really, that is what it means, that we don't have to want other things because God has given us all that we need, even though... Sometimes we go through times of sorrow. Sometimes we go through times of being afraid. We need to remember that phrase and let it kind of jump out at us. We have all that we need. You know, our our Heavenly Father, He knows all that lies ahead. Nothing's going to surprise Him. We're not going to be found lacking. He knows exactly what we need, and it's found in Him. So at those times when we start to fret, and maybe we're worried about our finances or relationships in our lives, we've got to train our brain to look to Christ and remember that He has all we need. And He knows not only what we need, He knows just when we will need it. And if we can keep our eyes fixed on Him and quiet our hearts, then it really helps to bring peace to our life. Rather than letting those thoughts make us frenzied, we can settle our souls and really trust in Him. Karen Eman is our guest. We're uh, talking about her devotional book. 
Trusting God in all the things. A sermonette for your soul. Uh, Karen, tell us more. This devotion was born out of a time walking through, uh, uh, or a time where I was walking through with our adult son, a little adventure that he decided to go on. He decided that he wanted to go on a three-month-long backpacking trip, and he was going to visit several states and national, state and national parks and camp out in the wilderness all alone. Like, he took no one with him, just his backpack and a little tent, and my mama heart was so filled with dread, and my mind, you know, it just raced with all the things that might happen to him, and he checked in with us often. He shared his location so we would know where he was. But a lot of times he lost cell service, and there were, you know, stretches of a couple, two or three days where we couldn't hear from him, and it really seemed to rattle my soul. Well, I noticed in Scripture often, especially in the Psalms, there's this phrase that pops up, oh, my soul, oh, my soul. And the word translated soul, it's a noun that can mean a living being, self, or a seat of human emotions and passions. And so when I see this phrase, Oh, my soul, it's almost like the psalmists are trying to, to give a little sermon to their own soul and calm their soul down, you know, and think, you know, why am I anxious? Why am I fretting? I need to just calm down and trust in God. So when we experience worry or apprehension or we're worried about a family member, not necessarily that they're out camping somewhere, but maybe they're making some bad choices in their life, we can go to God, we can calm our souls down by reminding ourselves that God's in charge. It worked for the psalmist and it can work for us as we learn to trust God and not fear the outcome because he is there. He's already gone before us and he can help us to calm our souls. Karen, I want to hear about um, the uttered and the unspoken. Well, this one, the verse is Psalm 21 two, you have given him his heart's desire and you have not withheld the request of his lips. And the uttered and the unspoken is just a, a psalm, I mean, a, a devotion that is based on this psalm that really talks about those prayer requests that we have that are both uttered. We say them out loud. We pray to God about them. We might share them with a friend. And then those unspoken prayers, too, that are deep in our hearts that we don't really share with other people. Maybe we never even say them out loud to the Lord because of whatever reason. Maybe we don't think that they're a big enough request. Sometimes I think that happens in our life. We think, oh, this is so silly. I don't need to pray about this. God's going to think I'm silly. Or maybe we just don't know how to put it into words. We're so afraid. We're so fretful. We're so fearful. So we just don't even know how to verbalize it. So we have unspoken prayers, and we have uttered prayers, and God hears them all. He knows our thoughts even before we think them. So we can trust that God is standing, waiting to hear both modes of messaging, the uttered and the unspoken, and whatever it is that we're facing, we can remember that that God of the universe, He cares about even those little concerns of our hearts. So we can take them to Him whether there's something we've been sharing with our friends and, hey, pray for this, or it's just something that we've just kind of tucked away in the corner of our heart that only he knows about. We can trust him with both kinds of prayers. Karen, tell us about I Am Here For You. 
I am here for you. This is probably one of my favorite devotions that I wrote for this book. It's based on a verse in Philippians, Philippians 1.25, that says this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. And I really dug down deep into that Greek original language for this verse, where it is translated into what is English for us. I know that I will remain and continue with all of you. And it's kind of a little wordplay. The apostle, when he says, I will remain and continue, it's two different Greek words that were initially used. And the first one means to remain with or to be in close proximity by, like, like I'm right here. I'm right by you. But the second word in the original language for continue, so the first word was remain, the second one is continue, it kind of hitches a prefix to the word remain and turns it into the word we get is continue, and it means to linger physically beside a person ever ready to help. So it's kind of like Paul was not only just saying, hey, I'm here, like I'm over here, I'm close by you, I'm in close proximity. I'm not just here, I'm here for you. For whatever it is you need, I am ever ready to help. And I just love the picture that that paints, not only for us as Christians, thinking about with our friends that we're here for them, not just close by, but we're here ready to help. But I picture God being that same way, like he's saying, I'm here and I'm here for you. My guest is Karen Eman. Her book, Trusting God in All the Things You Do. We've got more with Karen, but I do want to remind you, we're working hard at trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. And you can be a big help. Go up to the website, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com, and just check in. Let us hear from you. It's important that we um, have a big outpouring from the community so you can uh, be a part of this, orlandodreamers.com. More with Karen Eman right after these messages here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It is the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Karen Eman is with us. We're talking about her book, Trusting God in All Things, All the Things, 90 Devotions for Finding Peace in Your Every Day. How about this one, Karen? A peace that's out of this world. Tell us about that. That one, the scripture that I used for that day is John fourteen twenty seven, and it reads this way, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And I wrote this devotion after a day where I'd had a a lot going on. And so I thought, I'm just going to kind of chill out for a while and pop on the television. And as I flipped through the channels, a commercial popped up that was promising to usher in peace in your life by taking a trip to a, a new local salon. You know, and I thought for a minute, oh, you know maybe I could go to that salon and get a massage or, you know, have my fingernails painted a pretty new shade of of nail polish or something. But as much as I know that that can be fun and it can help you relax, it's not going to bring true peace to my life. And even other commercials that I saw that day, 
there was another one that was like, I guess it was maybe a cruise or an island that you could fly to. It was some faraway land that promised serenity and peace. And it looked just so lovely. You know, I was dealing with all the chaos of my day and the craziness of trying to get supper on the table and laundry done and my work done. I worked from home and I had a bunch of projects going and I thought, oh, going to a faraway land, that would be wonderful. But really, as much as it's fun to go to a salon and it would be great to go on a vacation, I'm not against either of those things. Those aren't really the things that bring peace to us. The peace that we really are longing for is a peace that the, the world can't give. It's a peace of mind and heart, just like John 14, 27 says, and it's only found in God. It's not found in activities, not found in relationships. It's not found in taking a break and, you know, getting pampered. It's found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Karen, when your mouth needs a recall button, <laughs> what, what are you writing there? Oh, let's just skip this one, shall we, Pat? <laughs> I'm just teasing. This is... This is me. This is my life sometimes. It's um, funny. There's an app I use. It's called Voxer. It's kind of like a walkie-talkie app. And I communicate with members of my team for my ministry and with certain friends. And there's this little feature on it. So if I were talking to you on Voxer, Pat, and I left a message, it it can be listened to in real time like a walkie-talkie, or you can listen to it later if you've got your app off. But if I leave a um, three or four minute message and I feel like I kind of rambled or I wasn't making my point right, or maybe I said something I regretted. There's a little button you can push that says recall. And so it erases that message and you won't hear it. And I can start all over again. And I was using that app one day with a friend and I thought, you know, there's sometimes I wish in life I had a recall button for my mouth because I say things sometimes that I don't mean, or I say things in anger, especially with my family sometimes, or there are sometimes I don't know. I just feel like my mouth's falling down the stairs. Like I, I don't really mean to say something that offends somebody, but somehow I'm like talking too much. And all of a sudden I, I'm in a place that I never meant to be. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. Oh, that sounded awful. Ugh, I wish I had a recall button for my mouth. And the, the scripture that I use on that day is Luke 645. It says the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So the loose translation is you're going to speak what you have stored. And the more we can store up God's words in our life and his truths in our life, and the more we're praying as we're interacting with people, the less we're going to feel like we want a recall button for our mouth because we're going to be letting out things that, that are good and that are godly and that are wholesome. My guest is Karen Eman. We're talking about her book, Trusting God in All the Things. Karen, I want to jump towards the end of the book. Uh, you do a number of uh, very, very interesting devotionals here. In fact, number 78 is called The Ultimate Unfriending. You're going to have to explain that. This one happened because I was looking through some old photographs one day. Uh, my mom had passed away recently, and she had a big trunk of photographs. And I thought that I had most of my photographs from my childhood already given to me because my mom was really good at being organized and given my brother and I things that she found that were ours during childhood. But in that trunk, I saw a page or a picture that was of a certain friend from college. And I never could remember exactly why, but for some reason, this friend turned on me. I never could figure it out. I don't know what I said or what I did, but 
she not only turned on me, but she tried to get other people to turn on me. And I felt like I was betrayed, you know, and it was just a sore spot in my life. I eventually just kind of started hanging out with other friends, went on, graduated from college, and hear from her again. Until recently, we actually connected on Facebook and and made up with each other. We both couldn't remember what the, the fallout had been over, but we mended our ways, and that was great. But when I was thinking about this feeling of betrayal from this friend that popped up in my life when I saw that picture, I thought about um, David in the Old Testament, and in Psalm 41, 9, it says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. And so I just found it encouraging that I wasn't the only person that felt like I was unfriended. Even David felt that way, and even the Lord. I mean, look at Jesus and his final days on earth. You know, he was eating with his friends and announcing that one of them was going to betray him by lifting up his heel against him. And at the end, it seemed everyone turned, everyone scattered. And so not only did David in the Old Testament understand what it means to be unfriended, but Jesus, he knows our pain. He knows our sorrow. He knows what it's like to be rejected and betrayed. And so this devotion just really helps us to think through that, you know, as bad as we think we have it, we're not the first one to go through it. And Jesus is the ultimate friend who will never unfriend us. He's never going to leave us and turn on us. Now, Karen, tell us about Lose the fret, keep the faith. What's that mean? This is based on a a verse I really love. I love the book of Philippians. And in Philippians 4, 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And so there was a woman in my Sunday school class once who no matter what prayer request was being given, you know, someone was anxious about something, just like it says in Philippians, somebody was upset about a diagnosis or even some really dire things. Like I remember once there was an accident where several family members were killed and someone was giving a prayer request about it and giving us an update. No matter if it was something dire like that or something very small, there was this sweet older woman in our Sunday school class that always said the same thing. And it's going to sound flippant, but she didn't mean it in a flippant way. It was just how she worded things in her little personality. She would always say, well, that don't surprise God, none. Let's all pray. <laughs> and as much as, as much as it seems like, well, that's kind of flippant to just say that when someone's talking about nearly an entire family getting wiped out in a car accident. But what she really meant was, as awful as whatever it is that was just being shared, or even, you know, something that was more minor, um, it didn't surprise God at all. He knew it was going to happen. He wasn't up in heaven, wringing his hands, worrying about how things were going to turn out. It didn't surprise God any. So we shouldn't be anxious about this. We should, in everything by prayer and supplication, make our request known to God. This didn't surprise God at all. Let's all pray. And so as much as it was kind of a little signature sentence she used to say, it really has become kind of a, a life principle for me that when I hear something, whether it's in my own life or the life of a friend or neighbor, that really rattles my soul, I need to remember this did not surprise God. It didn't. So let's all pray. Karen Eamon is with us. I want you to tell us about uh, the next one. Praise Him Anyhow. 
Yes, this is Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. And I remember growing up, I lived in a, a little tiny town out in the country and across the road from us, kind of kitty corner on the four corners or caddy corner, depending on what part of the country you live in, because I think some people say caddy corner instead of kitty corner. There was a cute little church that was a, a white clapboard church that had a tall steeple, and I was invited to go to that church. And I remember sitting in a Sunday school class, and Miss Pat was the teacher, and there was a poster on the wall of the classroom that had a little boy with a slingshot in his back pocket and an ice cream cone in his hand. It was like a cartoon drawing. I think it was a Precious Moments drawing of those uh, Precious Moments that were pretty popular years ago. And unfortunately, his scoop of ice cream had rolled off the cone and fallen on the floor and we were the ground and was being consumed by his puppy. And the poster said, praise the Lord anyhow. My guest has been Karen Eman. Get the book. You'll love it. Trusting God in all the things. We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're plugged into the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Here's what happened. Uh, Christine Hoover joined us first. How to thrive as a pastor's wife. She was in Charlottesville, Virginia. And then Karen Eman joined us from her home in Michigan, uh, talking about her book, Trusting God in All the Things. Well, folks, we're always so pleased. Would you plug in with us here for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour? We enjoy uh, all of these guests, and we enjoy having you join us. That makes for a good, lively conversation. So have a wonderful week ahead. Stay close to the Lord. Stay strong. Be courageous. And we'll uh, have more good talk for you next weekend on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And stay tuned all day long to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a great week ahead. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. The new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word.